It's very good. Good morning. Good morning. I love that uh, phrase that Cecilia just used there. She walked into that room and people would smile at her, maybe give her hugs. And maybe you've come into this space before and church is an unfamiliar place for you. Or maybe you've connected in uh, months or years ago and you had the similar experience and you thought, what are they hiding from me? What are they, what are they, what are they on about? And you came to discover that it was just a genuine affection and kindness and there were no strings attached. So if that's you this morning, you've come in, you're brand new, you're trying to find out some things maybe about who Jesus is, or you've just been dragged along and people are smiling at you, I just want you to relax because there's no kind of strings attached. You know, um, this uh, weekend we've had this uh, Pray Marunda, which has been about setting aside time for people who regularly come along here to pray that God's presence would become more apparent or the need for God in people's lives will become more apparent in Marunda. So if you've been part of that, I want to thank you. I was in the Sage Hotel yesterday. I chose my space to sit above uh, the kind of Marunda city landscape and uh, I spent an hour connecting with God up in a lounge up there, up in the cafe, and cultivating God's presence in my own life. As we start this morning, I'm mindful of two people who are unwell in our community. I thought it would be just most appropriate to pray for them by name. So Arnie Arienda, who is uh, in hospital and not well at all, as well as Alana Coombe. And uh, I just thought this morning we should just pause and pray for God's powerful presence to be in their life, but also that he might heal their bodies, which are very much in need of healing. So if you'd like to join with me, I'm going to pray. Father God, in this place this morning, I'm mindful that there are times in our lives where we are brought to the end of our tether and that there are no other resources available to us apart from you. And I want to pray right now for Alana that she might know your kind presence in her life, but that you might bring healing to her body. And I also want to pray for Arnie right now. Would you meet with him in that hospital room? Would you remind him that you are good and that you are present? And I ask that you might bring, we ask that you might bring healing to his body this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about change. Is change possible? Think about a a habit, a behavior, a thought pattern in your life that you've been trying to change. Maybe it's been pointed out to you by someone else, unkindly. Or maybe you've realized that what you've done in order to try and get by in life, the habits that you've formed, the behaviors that you've shaped, the way in which you speak, the maybe the thoughts that you've been thinking no longer work for you. And so you come to the end of your tether. And you wonder to yourself, is it possible to change? And in our own weakness and sometime in our own willfulness, we decide it's easier to change someone else than it is to change ourselves. Because there are times in which we feel like we are in need of a power that's greater than ourselves because the power that we've been exerting to bring that change about in our own lives seems too difficult. So this morning, picking up on Cecilia's story, 
I want to ask the question, is it possible to change? If there's anything true about the Jesus life, the Christian faith, is that it's not just an historical intellectual faith. It's not just about bits and bobs that happened to a man 2,000 years ago. It's actually a lived encounter, a relational dynamic between God and human beings. It's experiential. It's not just intellectual. It's both. Change. Is change really possible? This morning I want to talk about the agency of change in the Christian life, the Jesus life. And it's got to do with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the agent of change. Over the past number of weeks, and we've got two weeks to go, we've been talking about this rubric, this framework in which there's a God who has created this world and he desires to dwell, to be present among his humanity. And that when he dwells and when he is proximal and when human beings open up their hearts and minds to him and say, God, you run the show, you drive the car, you captain the ship, Change happens in their life and they begin to emanate and shine him through their thinking, through their actions, through their behaviors, through their bodies. If you like, when God is present to human beings, we shine, we flourish. The problem we've been discovering though is throughout, rippling throughout the story of God and humanity, people made in his image, is that there's a proclivity human beings have to want to resist God and mistrust him and try and determine good and evil, right and wrong ourselves. And so the story that emanates throughout the Old Testament, that is the Old Covenant, the Old Partnership before Jesus, is a story of a God who opens up his arms to humanity And says, come, if you will just embrace me, you will find life and you will flourish. And I'll pour my wisdom and my justice and my beauty and my mercy into you and you will shine. But the story of humanity is that at every move where God has extended his arms, human beings have folded theirs and turned their back. In the Garden of Eden, he calls in two early hominids and he places them there and he opens his arms up to them and they fold theirs and they turn away. And he expels them, but in his grace, he clothes them. Centuries later, he delivers his people from the tyranny, the powers of Egypt and Pharaoh in slavery. With a strong, mighty arm, he leads them out into the wilderness and he gives them 10 commands, life-giving, beautiful laws that if they are to abide by them, they will flourish. And the other God, the different God to all the other gods will shine and reflect through his people and the world will see what this living God, the creator, is like. But the moment in which he extends his arms, they fold theirs, craft an image in the, uh, the image of uh, uh, an animal, and they worship it. And so God, what does he do? He, he picks them up and he leads them into a new Eden, a promised land. And in that place, he, with his open arms, he says, if you will just follow me and embrace me and trust me, I will shine through you and you will flourish in this land. But the story is that they fold their arms They turn their backs and instead of shining his light, they shine darkness 
to the extent that he expels them once again. And even in that faraway land, he promises once again to bring them back, to draw them in. And so he does. And the writers of the Bible, they, they see this pattern reflected over and over and over again to the extent that they make this conclusion. They conclude that the problem is not God, that the, prom- the problem, if you like, is human beings. And so one of the prophets, one of the spokespersons of God by the name of Ezekiel, he sums it up and says this. God speaking through the prophet says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Both the prophet and God agreed that the problem with humanity was that you and I have an inclination towards having a hard heart. And not a soft one before God. That is, we want to kind of control and manipulate and leverage circumstances to our own benefit to the exclusion of God. And so if you like, he summed it up and says, you've got a hard heart. But God wants to resolve that problem and he wants to give you a soft heart so that you would be responsive to him and his leading so that you might flourish. If you like, the promise that reverberated throughout the biblical narrative is that there's a God who wants to transform the human heart so that it would be tender before him, that when he opens up his arms, you and I will be more inclined to run into them and trust rather than determine it for ourselves. And so we pick up the story today of this profound idea from last week that not only does the presence of God decide I'm going to dwell amongst human beings, but today that there is a presence of God that wants to be indwelling amongst human beings. Why? Because he wants to take sometimes our hardened hearts and make them soft and responsive to him because that is the best place that you and I could be. And so if you want to follow with me this morning, if you have a Bible with you, you want to look it up, I want to look at a passage in the book of the Bible um, written by a man called John who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus, who beheld Jesus, and he wrote things about him, John chapter 14. And the context is such that Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to be killed. The dark forces and powers are about to be active through human beings. They will take him and crucify him. And he is talking to his intimate followers, his disciples in a room. And he's talking to them about his departure. And these are the words that he says. He says, if you love me, he went on, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I love these words because it reframes it from the very beginning. You see, in our Western context, we believe that it's intellectually correct if we've got the right information that that warrants belief. In other words, belief is more to do with holding a set of ideas in our heads and that's what constitutes belief. Well, that is very far from the understanding that Jesus had about what constitutes life with God and what belief is about. For him, he shifts it from the mind and pushes it down into the heart and speaks about matters of the heart. For he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. 
That is, if you have a responsive open heart to me and you love me, it's from that well of being that you will actually want to obey or do anything that I say. If you like, he shifts it from a brain thing to a relational heart thing. And he goes on and he says this, I'm going to be going away, but I want to tell you, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another helper. I've been a helper for you. I've shown you what it's like to live a fully human life, to trust in a Father who's present and close and proximal to his humanity, but I'm going to give you another helper. I will send to be with you forever. This word helper, uh, paraclete, has different nuances In one sense, it's just a helper that gives you energy and strength, like the kind of person that will come alongside you and, and if you like, put their hand to the plow and give you a hand with what you are doing. It's like an energy and a strength. That's what the helper will do and be. But there's another nuance, the nuance of a comforter, someone who will come to you in times of grief and despair and speak with you, and if you like, just be with you. Perhaps you've seen people who are mourning and grieving. They've lost a loved one. And you find that on the days in which they find out, people just gravitate towards that person's home. And they just knock on the door. They come in. They might bring some food. They might bring some flowers. They might not say too many things, but they just sit with someone who's grieving. And they may hold them. And they don't have words to say, so they're just present to them. But people who've experienced that and you've experienced, if you have experienced that yourself, you will know that there's something about the presence of others warmly holding you, just being present to you that speaks profoundly to you in your grief. It says the spirit, if you like, the helper will be just like that. There's another nuance to this as well, this, this helper. And It's like you're in a law court and there's someone who's standing up for you and defending your cause in your case. But in this case, it says the the helper will kind of stand before the father and talk to the father about who you are and what you're going through and the struggles you're facing. And so he will kind of bring that to, if you like, the father's presence. So it's very much before him. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to be going away and I've been a helper for you, but there's going to be another helper who will give you strength and comfort, who will speak to the father about you and your situation. And he's going to be with you forever. And he goes on and he says this, this other helper is, and he names it, the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. He says, I need to go away because I'm going to send someone to you. And this person I'm sending to you, the helper, he won't speak lies and he won't deceive He will only tell you what he knows of the truth and he will reveal the Father, God, the Creator to you. And he will not only just be with you, but radically, he will be in you. You see, in ancient times, God might have dwelt in a tent, a tabernacle. He might have dwelt in a garden. He might have dwelt in part in a temple made by human hands, but But Jesus now says that same presence is not going to just dwell among you. This presence will now dwell in you. Jesus goes on and he says, I'm not going to leave you bereft. 
I'm coming to you. Not long from now, the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I are in you. On that day, what are you talking about, Jesus, on that day? Well, it seems as though Jesus is looking towards the time in which not only he will be crucified, but he will come back to life again. He said, on that day when I reveal myself to you in my resurrected state, you will know that I have the gift and the power of life. I've overcome all darkness and death and all of the enslaving entanglements of sin and what it does in our own lives in pushing God away. And I, you will know on that day that I live And because I live, you will have the knowledge that you will live too, not just in the present age, but in the age to come. And then he presses this language, this intimacy even further. He says, I tell you this, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. It's as though Jesus is describing this bond of love, this interconnectivity, this resonance that words don't do justice to. It's close And it's real and it's intimate. He goes on and he says this, anyone who has my commands, he just flips it now and keeps them. That's the person who loves me. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love them and I will show myself to them. You see, Jesus isn't trying to describe here a God that's angry, that doesn't love and has to be coaxed into loving you if you do the right things. No, that's not it at all. Actually, this is you experiencing the, the love of God whose arms are already open. And he says, if you kind of love me, I'm telling you this, you're going to be loved by my dad because my dad loves me. And if you love me, it's kind of you become part of the family. And my dad's going to love, he loves me. And I tell you, if you know me, he's just going to love you. Have you ever been welcomed into a family before that kind of operates like that? I mean, you might not come from a touchy-feely family, but there's others of us here who come from a more touchy-feely family. Hands up the touchy-feely family kinds. All right, there's two of us, (laughs) a little bit more. You see, you have a friend and you bring them along and and in those families that kind of make room like that, you you open up the front door and it's as though mum and dad, they come out and they welcome with a big hug and embrace, right? It's kind of embarrassing, but the friend feels welcome. It's, and, and they kind of operate by the language of, hey, if you know my son because I love my, if you know my daughter because I love my daughter, then you're one of us and you're one of our family and we love you. Yeah? It's not as though they didn't love you, it's just they'd never met you before. But because you know their son or their daughter, you get to be with them and their family. That's the same way it works with God. Jesus is saying, you know me, I tell you what, you you know my father because he's in me and I'm in him and you're now connected to me, so it's close. And he presses on and he says this, if anyone loves me, Jesus replied, they will keep my word, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Wow. On my recent trip to Scotland, it seems like a long, long time ago now, three months One of the things I did that was on my bucket list before I left was to call up the landowner who sat and dwelt with his farm on the ancient land of Arnott, yes, and fish on his reservoir, Arnott Reservoir or Arnott Lock. 
So I called up one day, and that was my desire to do a bucket list item, fish on Loch Arnott before I left my homeland, my motherland, not. My home's here. But I called up because he had a number on his fence saying, anyone wants to fish here, call this number. I called him up, and he was a kind Scottish gentleman. I said, hello, sir, my name is Troy Arnott. (laughs) I'm wondering if I might be able to come and fish on your loch. Loch Arnott. And he said, sure. He was a retired uh, lawyer from Edinburgh. He'd bought the land and he was the laird of that land, if you like. So I said, "Um, do you mind if I come and fish one night? He said, no problem at all. In fact, I can row you in my boat out there and you can fish from the boat. I said, well, while we're at it, can I invite uh, a friend of mine, a guy I've been teaching to fly fish as well? He said, sure, bring him along. So he said, come at night time. It was nine o'clock and it's sort of dusk. It's sort of light till about 11 o'clock in summer there. It said, it's better to fish on the lock in the evening time. So I got there at nine o'clock with my friend. He drove us in his car and he drove us up to the lock and then he hopped in his boat and he was rowing. The laird of the land was rowing while a friend of mine and I were fishing on Loch Arnott. Pretty cool. At about 11 o'clock at night, after catching no fish, (laughs) we returned. We returned to his home, his farm. And he said, I tell you what, it's a little bit cold right now. It's 11 o'clock at night. Why don't you come on in and you can meet my wife and we can sit down and have a wee drum and a cup of tea. Good Scottish hospitality. So me and my friend, we walked in and we sat down and for the next hour, we just talked. Beautiful. You see, he'd got to know us and so he opened up his doors and he welcomed us in and he said, my home's your home. You can just stay here. But it would have been a little bit weird if I had said, you know what? I love this so much, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm going to just stay here for the rest of my life. <laughs> would have been uncomfortable and weird, but deeply profound. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, I tell you what, if you open your arms to my Father, if you place your trust in me, I'm going to actually... Come and dwell within you. And my dad and I, we're going to make our home not only with you, but in you. (laughs) We're going to put on the tea. I'm not sure if we're going to have a wee drum. But we're going to sit and talk and make our dwelling with you. He goes on and says this, I've said all this to you while I'm here with you, but the helper, and he names the helper for the first time, the Holy Spirit, the one the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and he will bring back to your mind everything I have said to you. Because that's what he does. He's the spirit of truth, but he's also the pure spirit. That when he comes into someone's life, and Cecilia said it so well, He said, it's as though the Spirit of God comes into your life and he starts to bring order and he starts to do some cleaning and some washing and some rejuvenating in your life. Because that's what the Spirit does. It takes a heart that used to be hard and begins to make it soft to the things of God. So God can work in you and bring about change in your life because... You've been receptive to God's spirit. 
And the challenge I find in my life is that when there's times in which I don't experience a sense of peace, God says, my presence within you will bring you peace. It's not the peace that the world gives because you could have as many trinkets as you want. You can have as much finance in the bank and as many relational connections that you care for. But when push comes to shove, there's a kind of peace that I can give you that nothing else can. Because I'm the one who's defeated death. I'm the one who made life. And you will find a security in me that nothing else in this world will give. Sometimes the best place that you and I can be in as human beings is when we are at the end of our tether and there is nothing else we can reach to or go to in order to fix the situation and we find ourselves in that calm, unnerving place that I find myself reaching out to the only thing in this cosmos that can give me peace and it's often where I find God is most present. Why? Because all of us, including me, are control freaks. We've learned to manage our worlds, to manipulate situations, sometimes for the right reason, to protect ourselves. And as a result of that, we find ourselves experiencing this twofold pull to trust God who we can't see or to rely upon my own resources to make my life work for me. And Jesus says, if you open up your life to me, I'll pour my spirit into you and my spirit will begin to do a work in you. And it's not just the beginning, but it's actually the continuation of life with me. Now, you need to learn along the way is that it's not just trusting me once, but it's continuing to give over control to me so that I might make changes in you. That's why the text says you need to sow to the Spirit or walk by the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. He's describing this cooperative way in which a human being now says, God, I know I still have my wanter working in me. And when you come into my life, you kind of fix that, but my wanter is still there. So if I want to change some things in my life, I'm needing to learn to manipulate less and hand over more. Man's going to come in a moment and I'm going to give you some space in which you can think and open up yourselves to God in this. But I want to describe a house. You see, when someone opens up their life to Jesus, he comes in and he pours his spirit into them. And it's as though if you can imagine your own house, your own life, you've got a hallway and he comes in and after some really wrestling, like Danny was talking about this morning, the doors open and there's a new energy, a new strength, a new comfort that comes into your life. And, and the spirit of God comes and places a bowl of fruit right in the middle of your kitchen on the table. And that fruit is, is, is marvelous. That fruit has bananas and it has grapes and it has apples and oranges and they are shiny. And that represents, if you like, the fruit of God's spirit. That is his attitudes in your life. And so there's love and there's joy and there's peace. 
and there's patience and there's kindness and there's goodness. Those things come into your life, but then there's other rooms. There's other rooms that you've locked up and closed up and you said the Spirit's allowed to be here, but not in that one because that's a dangerous room. And that other room's got some pains in it and some grieves. And, and while this room here, this is the one of my habits and behaviors and, and, and the things I say and the bluntness and the... And maybe the thought processes that I have that I've learnt as I've grown up and I kind of just rely on them more than him. And so I think part of the Jesus life is learning to open up those doors and allowing God's spirit to come in. Is change possible? Yes, change is possible. But it's when I cooperate with the Spirit of God. Right now, I'm going to create a space for you and we've been talking about sacred space and I wonder what God might be speaking to you about today. I wonder if He's asking you to run into His arms and be present to Him. Or I wonder if you've welcomed Him in and you're wondering, is change possible? And I want to say change is possible. But it's when you continue to open up and say, I'm at the end of my tether. Would you come and help me? I want to cooperate with you. So here in this space now, I wonder if you might name that thing. Bring it before him. And ask that by his spirit, he might change your life.